Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me. And you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So as you know, this podcast is sponsored by FHE Health, which is a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders needs including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps today by visiting FHEHealth.com. And by the way, it's not just limited to first responders. Check out the website. They have programs for everybody out there. You can find the help that you need. And so, uh, folks, today we're going to be talking to Jeff Thompson, and he's an NYPD detective, and he's been there for over 20 years. And he's a mental health and wellness coordinator there, and I believe he's the first one. We'll ask him a little bit more about that and kind of explain that. And um, he's going to be speaking as a research scientist at Columbia Medical Center in the uh, Department of Psychiatry. He's got a lot of really good information and work that he's doing, and uh, just a very interesting guy, and talking about a vital topic. And I've got him on the phone right now so jeff thanks for coming on the show yeah mike thanks a lot for having me here i really deeply appreciate it oh i appreciate you being on the show and we've had some great offline conversations that i know the listeners are going to benefit from and so just tell them a little bit about yourself your background and you know how how and why is it that you're doing what you're doing right now because you know is a cop and i feel like a kind of a fish out of water going into the counseling <laughs> field as a cop but you know i'm certainly not working at columbia university in the department of psychology and and it, you've really taken this to the next level and I'd, li- I'd be interested in hearing, you know, how and why you're doing that. Well, thanks for all that pressure, Mike. I, I was <laughs> High bar. To be nice and easy, but the way you just build it, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> let me try my best to live up to your expectations and your listeners. But again, honestly, um, I'm, the way I said it earlier, I'm fortunate. I've had a good life, I think, so far. I hope I have a lot longer of a life to live as well, but... It's sort of like I'm at a crossroads, um, too, when I look at it. So, and again, like you said, just for clarity for any of those lawyers out there that love listening to these things, I'm speaking really more in my context of my research scientist role at Columbia, but I'm also very proud to say that I've worked for 20 years with the NYPD, a detective, first ever mental health and wellness coordinator is my current position, and how I've been able to help people in the NYPD but also just how I've been able to help other police, first responders, and people in general. And the the one thing before I get into my specific role, and I know uh, all these great conversations that we've had offline, I hope we can try and bring it here today as well. It's just ultimately there's a lot of takeaways I hope your listeners will get. But let's make one of them that I'm going to try to attempt to put out right now is, yes, we're police, but we're human beings first. We're human beings having a police experience, a police employment, and we can't forget that. And learning and practicing these mental health resilience skills that I've learned from others and try and share in police and first responders, let's not forget that this kind of work, when I talk about it, yeah, it helps make us better police, but we deserve this as human beings. Mm. And I can't say that enough. We deserve this as human beings. That's not selfish. It's smart, especially given the work that we do. Um, yeah, so I guess the, the quick background on me is in the NYPD, some of the work that I've been involved in is going backwards uh, from the beginning. I was on patrol. I walked the beach, drove around a patrol car. I worked in all different specialized units, including our, our community affairs outreach, our public information office, 
I had a unit called strategic communications. I was a hostage negotiator where I was a negotiator and I taught and trained it all over the country and world. And then ultimately I came to a conclusion or a mindset where I realized that I had a significant amount of time on in policing that police across the country and the world, we do a really damn good job of protecting the public and keeping them, keeping them safe, especially in the worst moment. And I started to realize, despite how good of a job we do for the public, we're just not doing enough for each other and ourselves. And that's why a lot of the work that I've done for, I'd say, about the past five plus years, it's turning it inward facing. If we do so well with the public, we've got to make sure we're doing equally, you know, we're that type of work for our brothers and sisters in blue and also for ourselves. And that um, sort of led into then a long story short, the work that I do outside policing is being a research scientist at Columbia in the Department of Psychiatry. And um, so here are the two uh, divisions I work in. And so the one is the Center for the Prevention and Treatment of Depression, and the other is the Molecular Imaging and Neuropathology Division. And they're, they're way too long to fit on a business card, but I don't have any business cards anyway for the time being. Um, <laughs> but the, the easiest way, Mike, I try to describe it is really, really smart, brilliant people up at Columbia want to make sure we're taking care of ourselves. And I'd say it's twofold. One, we deserve it, like I said earlier. But this is also, you know, that more than the cliche win-win. When we're looking after our own well-being and mental health, that makes us better at what we do. And aside of just living as human beings, we're police. And what's our job? To protect the public. So they want us to be better and taking better care of ourselves because they're trying to help us. But they also realize that has a positive ripple effect. And it, 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 look, it's uh, only as complicated as we make it. And ultimately, I guess the last way to just the overview that I give on it, it's, it comes down to how do we look after ourselves? It's from three perspectives, really. You look at it in uh, how do we manage our thoughts? How do we manage our emotions slash feelings? And then how do we manage our actions and behaviors? And they're all interconnected. And that, that's uh, basically the work that I'm, I'm involved in one way or another. Now, what, what prompted you to go from being a, a police officer and a detective to pursuing this area? Was there, uh, did you experience something in your career that said, you know, I want to do this? Was it a personal experience? I mean, just to, uh, what led you to this? Yeah, so I guess the, the easiest way I look back on it, and, you know, talking about the brain, maybe who knows what the real answer is, but upon reflection, here's the answer that I think it might have been, uh, but I guess... Who knows better than me about my own life story? So mm-hmm. here, here's my current modern day take on it. I realized when I was uh, much younger in my early years in my career, uh, I had been involved in some pretty tough situations and like lar- large scale demonstrations, protests, even whatever the next word is above that. And it was either potentially volatile or became violent. And then realizing what I was using, but then also much more senior officers using communication skills literally to de-escalate potentially or actually bad moments and just being blown away by that and that the power of communication along with well, like, physical tactics as well, but just focusing on the communication, it just blew my mind that it really does work when it's used properly. But then I realized, well, what was it that I was using and that I saw others and trying to mimic what the senior officers were using? It led me down the path of like, I literally, I would go home to self debrief and I'd Google it 
And I came across conflict resolution skills, mediation skills. I said, all right, that kind of sounds like what we do out there. I went and got trained separately as a mediator. I brought the training to the NYPD to help train other members. Then that's where I'd say I caught the academic bug. I went and got my master's in negotiation and dispute resolution. And this is where I'd say I, I get nothing out of it, but plugging Creighton University, their online program that I went through was amazing. And when I caught that academic bug, I was like, wow, I don't want to just get my master's. Eventually, I went on to get my PhD in conflict resolution with Griffith University based in Australia. And then I had a fellowship at Columbia, first with their law school back in 2013, where I was literally researching across the world terrorism and hostage negotiation. And now with my current position at the medical center, it's just trying to constantly bridge, bridge the gap of research and academia, and not just my work, but others, along with people, the practitioners and professionals, and trying to converge the two because it's absolutely an art and a science. Mm -hmm. But you, and the way I describe that too, Mike, it's like they, you have to have the science and the foundation of what the skills are and why they work so well, and which ones to avoid. The art form begins. Then how do we? How do I apply it? How do you apply it? And how we're different? And we have different personalities. But you have to have that foundational science understanding, and mm -hmm. then you modify and adapt it. Yeah, that's that's very well said. Very, very well said. And I guess that that interest would segue into you know our discussion today, and that's primarily law enforcement officers, but not just law enforcement officers. I mean, and everyone. And that is that the the big issue. Uh, well, let me ask you this. I'll, I'll put it to you as a question: What do you see as being the biggest problem? in law enforcement today is it it comes to wellness all right i was gonna say that's way too open-ended and loaded uh, i yeah. was gonna say let's just throw wellness in the front of that yeah. the biggest issue because otherwise yeah. who knows we could talk about a thousand things but honestly I, and i like when when you talk about wellness when i talk about wellness and also just say I, the word i use a lot is resilience and people yeah. are throwing that word around all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's starting, I think, unfortunately, starting to get watered down because it, it you know, it's, it, it could unfortunately become another one of those checkbox trainings, right? And what do I mean by that? Agencies, it's that CYA, right? Oh, okay, you've got your, you know, so you got your suicide prevention training, don't kill yourself. And now you got the resilience training, don't fall apart. And that does more harm than good. Then that's sometimes, that's worse than doing nothing, right? And I think the biggest issue with your question is let's make sure we're doing something, but something that's actually meaningful and helpful. And this is where it splits. So when we talk about well-being or I'll just use the term resilience, it's twofold. There's the responsibility of the agency, but also the individual. Yeah. It's not one or other. Right. And that's why I call it, you know quote unquote real resilience i didn't trademark that i'm not going to because i don't own that but it's like i try to say it's the opposite of bs resilience and let's just actually put it out there and have a conversation and that's why i'm glad we're having this talk on it it's both agency and individual and i i could go more into that if you want or you tell me well here's the reason why i asked that um mm -hmm. i i've talked about on a previous episode before how I, like what really motivated me to do this was my own personal story first and foremost right. but on the teaching end of it when i taught leading at risk employees and developed that course at the fbi academy what it came how that came about and i'll just kind of set this up for you and, and drive where i'm going with this i was teaching another course 
that was called uh, officer-involved shootings. Now, the shootings was kind of misleading. It was really, the, the, the topic was really critical incidents. Okay, what kind of programs, policies, procedures should you have for your agency? Because the audience were police executives. This is the National Academy. So this is, we're teaching okay, police agencies, right. not, not just an FBI. In fact, it's not designed for FBI employees. It's designed for police executives for this leadership program that we have. And it was a course that I it had inherited and it was programs, policies, procedures for what you should do to help your employee that's been involved in a critical incident. Now, that could be a critical incident on the job, but it could be your partner died of cancer, there's family mm. trauma, whatever, you know, to, to help them. But looking at this course through the lens of my experience, that being an addiction experience to alcohol and and really being unhappy with uh, the whole process and how the agency was helping me get well, um, I, I had real questions about how that was done. So now I'm teaching this course at the academy, and I'm kind of looking at the the two and thinking, okay, we're missing something in this class. And I just started having uh, informal conversations with the, the students in the class, again, being executives. And I would ask questions like, you know, how many of you, it went like this, how many of you know of so, you are someone or you know someone that has an addiction issue? And to this day, I've never had anyone anyone not tell me that they know somebody okay so now but putting this in the context of employees i i would say how many of you are working the streets as officers and the answer would be zero because they're all command level right people and then okay well next question is so you're not on the street so your job is to work with your employees well how much how much of your time every day is spent on admin issues and depending on the size of the agency it might be let's say 80 percent okay how much of your admin stuff is disciplinary in nature and it would be a high percentage and how much of that would be addiction and it would be a high percentage well all right final question how many of you have received any like real training in this area and i didn't meet anybody that anybody. So I said, so let me get this straight. You guys were trained to be police officers to work the street, you know, handcuffing, shooting, defensive tactics, all that kind of stuff. But none of you've really been trained to be in the position that you're in. And the answer to that was mm -hmm. correct. And so that was what we, we tried to do. And so when I started working with these police officers, I realized that addiction issues, mental health issues were huge huge when when it came to the administrators but there was so little training and knowledge right on on that and that's that's not good well right and this is the one thing that too so when there's no training there's no knowledge and just generally so what do what do people do when that happens they make up stuff yeah they make up their knowledge and quite often it's very inaccurate and that leads into i know the other term that's very close to you that's what leads to stigma and you can't detach stigma from culture and especially in law enforcement but it's you know there's culture in any organization but when you look at law enforcement how much culture contributes to stigma and this is sort of like where it goes back to i look at it in the terms of both agency and the individual and the responsibility is twofold because i can't help but think like you, you think of like police trainings right and sometimes like Often you'll hear from any agency, people say our training in X is deficient, right? Mm -hmm. And whatever the X is, let's just talk about resilience, mental health. And when I'll give trainings in different, you know, across the USA, Canada, even recently, and I'll say, well, first of all, if they bring me in, I go, your agency brought me in. So I'd like to think that's an example of them at least trying. Yeah. But then I say to them, and this is truly where I say to any of your listeners, 
And whether you're police or not, and I, I don't mean this to be a jerk. Um, I, I think my accent already gave it away. I'm from New York, so I'm not trying to be a jerky New York person here. But my question literally is to everybody even listen, well, what are you doing? What the hell are you doing about it? But like I ask people, what is it that you're doing? And I'm not saying in a negative way, but this is where real resilience comes into play. And what I mean by that, two key words to resilience, perspective and control. And what do I mean by that? We have to come to terms with certain things will always be out of our control. Work-related, personal life-related, both. But with a resilient perspective, and that's where the other word comes in, perspective, with a resilient perspective reminds us we're always in control of something regardless of the external situation, we're in control of ourselves. And that's where, what do I mean more specifically? It's what I said earlier, our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors. And for the resilient mindset, that's reassuring no matter what's going on, at least I'm gonna take ownership of it. And I'm gonna, and this is where I come back to that question I just said, well, what are you doing to look after yourself? Yeah, the long-term changes take what? A long time. And I ask individuals always, what are you doing today to look after yourself? And like you said, you, when you teach leaders, and I say, guess what? It can't be just you. You're a leader in your agency. What are you doing to take care of yourself, but also your workforce that works under you? And sometimes I tell them one of the best ways to show and demonstrate that to the people that work under you is by practicing it. Saying, hey, look, yeah, things are tough. Here's some of the things I do. I try to do on a daily basis or a few times a week to show that it is realistic and it is possible, but very, very importantly, we don't ignore the bad. Resilience, again, is acknowledging, what do I mean, the bad? The tough things, the stressors, the things that are giving us issues in life, we acknowledge it, but then we also figure out control what we can. And I don't know. Yeah, very, very well said. And that's a very important message, you know, on the addiction side of the house because bad things are going to happen. And I'll tell you, mm. in recovery, you know, just because you're in recovery doesn't mean that bad things go away. And I think a lot of a lot of the, the people that I work with, uh, you know, I, you know, I've been in recovery myself for almost a decade now and just spent the last year working in a treatment center. And I think there's a lot of people that have this idea that once they get sober and they work on these issues that the problems are going to go away. Well, the fact is the problems don't go away. Life, life is still mm. life. And in fact, because you're not, you're not drinking, you're probably, chances are more engaged in life, which means that you're going to actually going to have more opportunities for conflict and things like that and so it's not that the problems go away they don't it's really about how do we deal with these problems and how do we process these uh how do we process these problems and just going back to the the first responder world uh, mm. although a lot of people have uh, this situation but just talking about first responders you know, as a first responder, you encounter on a daily basis that if your average person out on the street that's not in, in this field experienced once, they may be in, in therapy for uh, for years. Uh, but right. we, we are experiencing that every single day. But, you know, you have two options. You have either don't go into this profession, number one, because it, it's very toxic on your mind, soul, body, and spirit. But if you do go, do go into this profession, then you need to know that you are going to experience trauma, not might, you are going to experience trauma. And we have to develop those skills to deal without that or else you're not going to you're not going to be in this profession long. And you're probably not going to live for very long after the profession's over with. And so it sounds like you're doing a lot of work and trying to help people uh, towards that end, you know, really well, taking right. care so of themselves. 
Right. And so it, I was thinking it, there's one study, right? That a lot of people reference um, with law enforcement. And I, 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 I haven't come across the study myself, so don't email me afterwards saying, can you read it? But I heard enough <laughs> people say it at conferences yeah. that approximately the average like lifespan for many police after they retire is roughly five years. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard the same. Yeah. And just, just say approximately. So I'm not going to try and say academically because somebody would be like, What's the citation? I don't have it. So let's just say approximately five years. Think about let that settle in. That should be jarring for every person listening to this. Yeah. And it should be heartbreaking. You know, we've dedicated 20 plus years, nearly our entire adult life, to protecting and serving others at the detriment of our own well-being, mental and physical? No way. And that's where I, I throw the BS flag. And this truly, like, when you were saying what you were saying earlier – that, the word that came to my mind, empowering. Do something about it. And stop making – and this is where, too, I, this isn't soft, fluffy BS, rainbows and butterflies. No, resilience is hardcore, and it's necessary. And it's that idea. You think you're going to wait till after you did 20, 25, 30 years of letting your mental and physical health go to crap, blaming your agency, then all of a sudden you think you're going to whip yourself into shape? No, it doesn't work like that. And they, people make excuses all the time. And I'm not making excuses for any agency either. I, I haven't come across one agency that's doing enough for its workforce. But then it's also for the individual. Yet again, there's this great researcher, Dr. Rick Hansen. And he's got two key terms that really help me understand this. And he, it's acceptance and agency. And just to tell you a little bit about that, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but I like it a lot so much that I want to tell you about it. That's okay. Um, so acceptance, kind of what I just said. And this is why I'm not trying to throw out fancy terms at anybody or trying to wow anyone, but this is the neuroscience behind resilience. We can't just be good at stuff. We need to know what it is that we're good at, but mm -hmm. also put in names and labels to it because that helps us stick with the things that are you know beneficial to our well-being. So acceptance, acknowledge the bad when it's going on, but also I have my own spin to it. Acceptance is also reflected on the good. And soaking in the good. I, I want to talk about that maybe if we have time a little bit later. But acceptance, acknowledge the bad. Don't stick your head in the sand or be, you know, la -la, everything will work out. Everything will be fine. No, it won't necessarily. The next one connected to that is called agency. And when I say agency, now I don't mean like the law enforcement agency. Agency, and again, Dr. Rick Hansen, his line, and I read this many years ago and it stuck with me. I hope it sticks with you, Mike, or maybe one, two, or hundreds, thousands of your listeners. His line is, be the hammer, not the nail. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And what Rick Hansen means by that is, do what you can. Stop making excuses. Stop complaining about everything. Fix what you can. Look after yourself. The stuff that you can't fix, that's it. Discard it. Move on. And I, it just reminds me all the time when I remind myself of that. Stop wallowing in my own misery. Stop you know, complaining and pointing my finger at everyone else. And, or, and here's the other term, too, um, self-compassion. Yes, self-compassion is hardcore resilience, too. People misunderstand self-compassion, by the way. Self-compassion is not a one-person pity party or making excuses and letting yourself get fat mentally and physically. No, self-compassion is hardcore resilience because, first of all, it's treating yourself fairly like the person next to you or the person you're trying to help. But it's also self-compassion is holding yourself accountable. And not letting yourself, you know, dodge certain things. 
Um, I don't know. What did you think of that hammer line? Because I'm a big fan of it. I, did it stick with you, Mike? Did yeah, no, it is. <laughs> because I think that in the beginning, and again, in my world, in the recovery world, that's the important thing. And I... <clears throat> I'll just tell you about a little exercise I kind of do with guys that I sponsor in the, the fellowship that I'm a part of. And I'll sponsor new you know, people coming into the program. Mm-hmm. And I'll take them to, to a meeting, a 12-step meeting. And I'll when they're new, I'll say, hey, when we're going around the room, I want you to listen to everybody talk, you know, when, when they share. And I and I want, you know, I want, I'm going to ask you about your observations. And I want you to tell me who's new, you know, who's still relapsing, who's struggling. And then tell me who's sober because there's there's a difference between not drinking and drugging and being sober there's a, a difference in the mindset and uh, and I and I'm going to ask you about that and typically what will happen is you know you'll hear the people that are bitching and moaning you know my wife sucks you suck we suck everything <laughs> sucks you know it all sucks right and that's all you hear in the next week that you know it's <clears throat> my wife still sucks you suck we suck all suck and then you get the other guys that are talking about um, you know, hey, I'm working on this step, and I'm wor- I'm challenged with this, and uh, I'm working on it, and trying to get well. And then you have you know the people that are like, hey, listen, uh, uh, I d- I just lost my job today, but you know I feel content, I feel grateful. I I somebody close to me died uh, this week, but I-, I tell you, I'm just so grateful for the time we spent together and where I'm at right now in my recovery. You know, those are like the different. Uh, sections that, that you hear mm. and I'll ask the newcomer you know what do you think of that you know who are the new people and 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 who tell me which is sobriety who's not dr- just not drinking and then who it just isn't getting it and they're usually pro- correct and what it comes down to is the people that are coming in and the people that aren't sober and the people that are still struggling are the ones that are complaining every they're focused on the bad they're focused on yeah. that, and then you got the people that are working through it, and then of course the person over here that has the the death of the loved one, but are still grateful for another day of sobriety. That's sobriety, okay? That's that's mm. true sobriety right there. And the reason why I say that is you see that transformation, and I, I really observed that while in recovery that the people that uh, that are truly sober have come to terms with bad things in their life. They've come to terms with it, and they're they're focused on what's going well. They're not focused on what's bad. They're focused on what's going on, whereas the people that are still struggling are focused on how bad the world is. And I think it, it kind of ties into what you're saying, the hammer and the nail. You know, what are you going to focus on? Are we going to focus on the good or the bad? And I think that as, as first responders, we're kind of conditioned to focus. And if you get... If you're around a lot of first responders, you know, in, in the coffee shop or you're, you're just sitting around and you're, you're just kind of talking, uh, it, they oftentimes turn into real bitch sessions. And there tends right. to be yeah. this, and, and, it, and it really creates this environment that this us and them, there's us, and then the rest of the world sucks because they hate us and they're all bad. And, you know, not everybody's bad, not everybody's evil, but you fall into that mindset. And that can be very toxic to you. So well, I think it toxic. relates. Think about how draining it is. It is. Right? It is. It zaps in like how you were talking about how like you would bring people and they'd observe them too. Like I, I would say to people sometimes that like we all know people that just complain, 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 whether it's in our personal lives or work lives. And sometimes I'd say to somebody, like, imagine it was you. It's not you, Mike, but let's just pretend it was you. I would sometimes say to somebody, like, Wow, Mike, how are you, how are you standing up right now? 
And he's like, what are you talking about? I go, well, because you were just complaining for so long. How do you have energy left <laughs> to even true. stand? Right. And that's when yeah. usually the person will laugh. Or they'll call me an unsavory name. And I'd be like, no, come on, man. And I would just like, I'm not here to minimize any of that. Because truly, if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal. Right. But I'd say you made so much time to share all that. How about what's something good going on in your life? And that's where, you know, in like my role, because I do peer support. Right. Too. And people say, I don't have anything. So I like to say I'm a guide. I'm a nudger. Sometimes I nudge hard, sometimes soft. And I would say, all right, Mike, you know what? Fine. But how about before the end of the day, shoot me a text. Let me know something good that's happened. And again, this is where I don't know what 10 years ago, Jeff would be thinking if he was listening to this. And this is where like, I, I say that often. And now I kind of modify in, to the what I'm going to say right now. I don't care what the hell 10 years ago, Jeff would have thought or would have said, because that's him 10 years ago. Here's current modern day Jeff. And I've seen there's good ways and bad ways, but we're all a work in progress. And regardless of how much strength you, me, and any of your listeners have, we don't need to take this on by ourselves. And this is why I'm constantly trying to learn, trying to read, learn from others. And then you surround yourself with like-minded, gritty, resilient people. Yeah, sure. And it's like you said in the coffee shop, we're not all, you know, complaining. Yeah, we might bring up other stuff, but you know what we do? We talk about our workout. We talk about how we went for a run. Or we talk about how we went to the family party and we didn't get hammered out of our mind and blackout. No, we, we had a good time with people that we care about. And again, this is where I know when I teach this in person, especially the veteran cops, they nod their head. And for clarity, they don't nod their head because they're falling asleep while I'm talking. They know <laughs> it because they get it. Thank yeah. you. You're right. I have to clarify that because they get it. We've been through it. And we know there's a good way, there's a bad way, and that life is one day at a time, but it's also working together. And getting past that BS of calling this stuff soft, fluffy things where, I don't know, it was something else I thought of when you said it too is it, how do we get wisdom from experience, right? But wisdom is not guaranteed from experience because if you keep making the same damn mistake over and over, you're not learning from it. Right. And that's where you diverge the resilient and the non resilient person are you learning what are you learning from it and as much as you're a great counselor and coach to some of these younger people too is they have to want to get better they have to want to do it themselves right you know what it that's a very very important point and one that has been coming to my mind quite a bit lately in working with people and and i work with family members and they're very frustrated that their loved one it just does not seem to be making progress. And I hate mm. to tell, I hate, you know, because, and I'm sure you've run into this, Jeff, you know, people come to us and they think that whatever you tell them is going to be the magic pill that will fix their loved one. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's a shame and it, and it's so sad to watch. And there, there are times, and I've, I've had to say this a few times recently, as a matter of fact, that if a person that you're working with, your loved one, if they don't want to get well, they're not going to get well. There's a lot of tools that you and I can provide to people, but they have mm -hmm. to want to get well. That's that's where we start. And, you know, that's not an easy thing to do, to convince. I, I know for me, I, was, I didn't get well until I wanted to get well. I mean, I'm, I'm a prime right. example of that. But how do you get people to that point? And I do know that in our field, the stigma that is associated this this toughness the um, and agencies don't help themselves either because sometimes you no. have somebody raise their hand and and actually say okay I want to get well and then they they become 
instead of being helped, they're, it, it looks almost like more like they're being punished than helped. And then all the right, other people exactly. see that and they go, like, well, that's not going to be me. Is getting helped or is he punishing them? Yeah. If this is what they call help, what the hell is punishment? But everybody else sees that too. And you think, well, I'm not, there's no way in hell I'm going to do what, you know, Jeff did over there because look at how they're treating him. And that's, that's something that has to change in the agencies. And, and also a lot of first responders think that they're the only ones that are going through what they're going through, but they're not. They're not. I know when I speak in front of police groups and I talk about my own experiences. You talked about the head, the, the head nod. I, you can just tell by looking at the audience. They they are connecting with what I'm saying. Every person in that room can relate to what I'm saying because they've all been through it. But none of. But yeah. we're not encouraged to sit down and share that with one another. We're just not. Well, and, and you know what? So I, I'm thinking like if there's if tips or stuff that I can share with people. And one example came to my mind especially when you talk about stigma in the agencies. Mm -hmm. One agency I was working with, and I was working really closely with their chief, and we'd give these talks to trainings together, which I thought was phenomenal. And he would say, and you talk about it's both the messenger and the message. Mm -hmm. I'm not the chief in this agency, so I can say it only a certain way, but it comes across differently and more powerful when the chief says it. And he was well-respected. And he said the line, oh, so great. he said it to the worker, he goes, look, if you're going through a struggle, get help. Get help wherever you can. And then he said the following, which I think was so powerful. He goes, and if you need to, get help outside the agency. And he, and he said the following. He goes, and you know whose business it is? Nobody's. I don't need to know. None of Nobody in the department needs to know. If you're getting help, go get it. It's nobody's business. But what's most important is that you're getting the help that you need and deserve. And that's in one sense, I think, how do we help fight that stigma? It's also, well, to what extent does the agency need to know? And of course, look, people say, oh, well, what about this situation? What about that? Let's, okay, we're not going to go through every scenario right now. Generally speaking, it's none of the agency's business. Mm -hmm. If the cop is getting help and support, good for him, good for her, God bless them. And this is when I say it in a group of people, guess what? It might be somebody in this room. And then I say, we're not going to call them out. They don't need to raise their hand, but look around. It might be that person. And this is where you move from the individual to stigma fighting culture. I'd say it might be that brother or sister next to you, and it's none of your business because they're riding the patrol car with you. They're walking the beat with you just like they did yesterday. Mm -hmm. And this is how we fight it. And this is where I tell people, too, you don't know what somebody's going through. So don't be the jerk. I'm, I'm trying so hard not to curse, Mike, but I'll just drop one if that's okay. Blur it out <laughs> if you need to. Don't. How about don't be an asshole? And I'm not <laughs> talking about even with the public. Before you get walk out of your station house or your precinct or whatever you call it, where don't be an asshole. And I mean to your brothers and sisters because it's not right. No. And that's how we change it of all ranks and calling it out too. And this is where I'd say too then. Whoever you are, if you hear somebody of equal, lower rank doing it, yeah, maybe figure out whatever your personality is. Maybe let them know that's not okay anymore. And it should never have been okay. And maybe if some people just say, oh, that's not like, fine, then you don't leave that to people like me. You just then, how about choose not to join in on making fun of people, making stupid jokes behind people's back or to their faces? Because I know that's what turns people away from getting help. And we've got to stop that. Yeah, and there's no other way to call it than being a, a bleep. There, I used the bleep the last time. And certainly, if you're in leadership, and the the chief that you described, I mean, that's exactly mm. what we want to see. 
that it, it comes from the leadership. And if you are a leader in an agency, you have to be promoting what you just talked about is promote people getting help and do not ever accept uh, people being ostracized for getting help because the suicide rate is horrendous right now in law yeah. enforcement. Uh, the addiction rate is horrendous. You know, I, uh, I actually saw a, a heard that there was a study that came out today, as a matter of fact, that, uh, you know, we're starting to get more and more data about COVID, like COVID deaths and, and right. compared to other deaths. I, I heard there was a study that came out today and I'll try to find it and I'll, I'll share it with, once I find it, I'll, I'll share the details on the podcast that more people have died from addiction issues um, during the, the COVID-19 pandemic than from COVID. Now, oh wow, that's not in the media. Nobody's talking about that. Because we don't we don't talk about these things, but I believe it. I'll, I'll just tell you from my just observing the meetings and being in the addiction world, um, I, I know that I've been to more suicide funerals in the last two years than I have in my entire career, just in the two last two years. And addiction and relapse and having worked in the treatment center, um, I, I thought to myself, I go, man, this is pretty bad. And then sure enough, you're you're starting to see the academics come out and say, you know, this is really. For the addiction world, this has been bad. It's been really bad. Well, right. And so you look at it because one of the areas that I specialize in is suicide prevention, but also a term that most people aren't familiar with, postvention. And postvention means somebody died by suicide. Yeah. And again, I work primarily with police and law enforcement and talk about how people still need to get an understanding of suicide. Mm -hmm. And with that, if there's one thing people please understand – they very rarely, if ever, is there a single cause to suicide. Suicide is very, very complicated. And first, if suicide is complicated, our approach to prevent it has to be equally, if not more complicated, right? And you look at it, there's no one quick fix to it. But you also, and I know, Mike, you know this as well, like with suicide, and you look at underlying diagnosed or even undiagnosed um, mental health conditions like depression, anxiety, and then you add to like what you've been talking about a lot, like substance abuse. And it just, it's one after that you keep adding it up. And it's just, look, by far, maybe if somebody has depression, anxiety in law enforcement and they're abusing alcohol, yeah, odds are they won't die by suicide, but that doesn't make it okay either. But then we look at it and it's, it, it, I, it's just really, really sad how many people, but then there's also, you talk about stigma too, unfortunately, how many people, sometimes, yes, they, I, I do something called the psychological autopsy. It investigates when somebody dies by suicide, right? And often you'll hear people say, oh, yeah, man, he was going through a really hard time. But then you also hear a lot, oh, he's the last person I would expect. And this is where sort of like our tough police culture works against us and we mask it and we try to cover up everything. And this is if there's a call to action I'd have for anybody that's listening to this, hopefully still, just um, check in with somebody, especially just check in with somebody. Hey, how can you personally fight stigma and the, the negative aspects of policing culture? And guess what? If you're not in police and check in with somebody anyway, but do it genuinely and meaning a meaningful conversation. Say, hey, I, honestly, I just want to see how you're doing and then be quiet. Let them talk. And here's the thing, especially if you know somebody going through a relationship breakup or maybe even financial issues, or they say they're having trouble sleeping, or if you've noticed maybe they're drinking a bit more than whatever their normal amount of drinking might be. And why not have that courage for yourself to check in with somebody? And here's the kicker, Mike. How about, here's my call to action. How about make that person you're checking in with be yourself first? 
put yourself at the front of that line, checking with yourself. And last thing, I'll get off my soapbox or pedestal on that. As strong as we are, if you're going through something tough, real resilience is also reaching out for help when you need it. And it doesn't have to involve your agency. Just reach out to somebody. And I don't know. It's a, Again, it's that idea of I can't be, thank you enough for having me here. Be able to just try to push this more. Yeah. No, I, I'll tell you what. I, I try to do that in my own life. I'm not perfect at it, but I, I at least try. And I that's one of the things I've liked about the 12-step program that I'm a part of is that mm-hmm. it gives me a place outside of law enforcement, outside of my agency, where I'm, you know, working with people that don't do my job, but yet have suffer from the same affliction that I have. And they help keep it grounded and they give you a different perspective and a non-law enforcement perspective. Uh, something right. else that I've done recently. Um, and again, this is different for each person. I'm not preaching. I'm not telling you what to believe, what not to believe. I'm just telling you about myself mm. that I've sort of reconnected with my, my spiritual base and have done some retreats and, and done some uh, activities outside to get me reconnected to to my faith and again really drill in on what it is that makes Mike tick what is Mike's belief and 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 focus on that and by doing that I think that's part of the whole resiliency process because being focused on things other than this job and being grounded to a faith that's important to me, helps keep the rest of my life in perspective because when we're talking about first responders oftentimes you know you you mentioned earlier the the death rate uh, you know how there, there's a high mm-hmm. likelihood you can be dead within five years i think part of that is that people being a first responder is not just what you do it becomes who you are and then when you retire and you leave you're not that anymore and it's almost like people have lost well i don't have any reason to live anymore so if you do like what i'm talking about you know getting connected to a faith-based program or a fellowship whatever whatever your thing is that you want to do that keeps it in the forefront that hey this job over here is not your entire life there's other parts of your life so when you retire you know, you, you still have something to connect to. And I know that's been important for me in, in retirement. Um, maybe well, your look, thoughts on that. Mike, it's, yeah, it's not just you. And like, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, and this is what I'd say based on my experiences, but also based on the wealth of research out there. First, spirituality absolutely is a hardcore component for many people in enhancing their well-being, mental health, and resilience. And maybe it's just somebody saying, oh, well, that's not me. Okay, I said, for a lot of people, it doesn't have, and there's no one perfect, um, you know, set of skills or skill. So for a lot of people, yeah, and reconnecting. But here's the thing where it, when one, a lot of these practices and mindsets overlap with others, because when you mention spirituality, what is that also connected to? But it's not limited to spiritual connectedness, meaning and purpose in life. And how yes. important it is feeling like you have meaning and purpose. And yet again, though, what you said, though, too, this is the biggest, well, not the biggest, there's many, many issues. Here's one that you you hit the nail on the head, and I'm glad we'll bring this up as well. Our work is our passion. It's more than work to us in policing, right? And here's the thing, though. Ultimately, we have to retire. And then what happens if your sole identity is that police shield? or that badge that you carry, what happens then when you do retire? And we've seen the, the awful stories so many times. Mm-hmm. I'll use the male pronoun, right? The guy married multiple times. Each wife and ex-wife hates him. His kids don't want to talk to him. 
And what does he blame the job? He gave everything to the job, to his agency, his police department. Then he finally retires. And what does he have? Nothing. And it's so tragic and sad. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible. And this is why I tell people, yeah, I absolutely love your job. And I'm not saying this in a minimizing way. Don't forget it's just that, a job. Mm-hmm. You must have more meaning and connections to the purpose in your life besides cop, uh, sorry, police officer, detective, lieutenant, captain, chief, mm-hmm. commissioner. And this is what I'd say too, as much as I love being called detective, I'm retiring soon. I, I say I have a lot more titles. I guess what's more important than that? For me personally, husband, father, that sure as hell is a lot more important. And this is where I, I tell you in the asking, in the, again, like uh, takeaways or just anything, people think about it your meaning and purpose besides the work that you do. And that truly is, I think, opportunities. And I call these micro interventions and reflecting on that. And maybe if you're struggling, here's, here's the thing. Maybe if you're struggling with it, good. And I don't mean good in it like, wait, what is the hell do I mean? Good, that means you're giving your brain a workout that's badly in need of one. Mm-hmm. And this is where resilience comes into play too. Don't be scared to the point where it immobilizes you say all right yeah i'm giving this part of my brain a workout let me think about this and no you don't have to have the answer today it's maybe work on a little bit more tomorrow and or maybe it's a it's a call to action for that person to say yeah maybe i do need some freaking hobbies in my life i don't have any Mm -hmm. um oh but oh yeah so one other thing too where you said in there too and it just pointed out Another key component to real resilience is connectedness, social connectedness. And look, for any, again, police, we're talking mainly about, but anybody out there, make sure, but specifically police, please make sure you have friends that aren't police. Yeah. (laughs) And what do I mean by that? Because if your only friends are police, when you go hang out after work, what what appeal Mike, what are, what do they talk about? Surprise, surprise Police work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And are they all high fiving saying how happy they are and how great they are? No, it's just a bitch session. Yeah. yeah. And that's just when you find friends that aren't police, sure they're gonna ask you, Oh, well, how's work or whatever. My whole thing is I, I get one word answers and I throw the question back to them because I don't want to talk about anything work related. I'm not working. I want to separate myself from work. I love going to barbecues or events or whatever with people that aren't police or and just talk about anything other than that. And by the way, I'm gonna, I, I know it's your show. You're, you're no, and that's an important thing too. You. And I think it's, it's, well, it's important yeah. even with your non-work friends that if you – if they happen to know what you do for a living, you know, it, it we, we really get caught into this trap too. And I experienced this probably more so with the FBI than the other agencies I was with. But it, it just seemed like, um, like, let's say I would go to church and, and people would know that I was an FBI agent. And mm-hmm. people are fascinated by, you know, you're an NYPD right. cop, a de- detective, and people are fascinated by that. And it's it's understandable that people are curious about, it, you know, because in their mind, you have such an exciting life and an exciting, you know, everything's exciting in your life and they want to hear about it. But what they don't understand is that that's your job. Okay. They, right. you know, and, and you have to set those boundaries. And I, early on in my career, I was not good at that. I, I think I'm much better at that now. And when you, when you're establishing those relationships with people to make sure that they understand you have boundaries and that like, if I'm, if I'm going to the gym, I'm at the gym. If I'm going to church, I'm at church. If I'm out with right. my wife and we're at dinner, you know, this is my pride. Hey, look, I do this every other minute of my life 
And, and it's a hard, it's not like television folks. This is pretty hard stuff. <laughs> and, um, if, if you don't mind, I would like to just be at dinner with my wife where I would like, you know, is it okay if I be at the, can I just be in the gym for an hour and not talk about work? You know, and we, but we have to take that responsibility. It's like what you were talking about earlier. You right. have to be responsible for your own wellness. Yeah. It, it's so right. It, it's, and again, it's easier said than done. But then I, I said, well, what have you done to work towards it? And it's that idea mm-hmm. of like, right, or going to the gym. Okay, well, don't check your phone. Or don't bring your phone. And some people say, oh, I have to have my phone. Fine, when you're doing bench, don't check your phone till you finish your three or four sets. And, I, and this is what I tell people. And again, it's the humility, how important it is. And you and I, we've learned it as we've gotten older. I, I'll speak for both of us. I'd like to think we've matured as we've gotten older. And I tell you, you're not as important as you think you are. And if you get back to them, whatever X amount of minutes later, you're you're not working and you're going to get back to them. It's just you've got to make that time for yourself. And so here's something I came across of all the research that I love reading and doing. Sometimes, honestly, Mike, I find some really meaningful stuff on Instagram. More places than not. Who to know? I love memes. And in Twitter, too. So I came across this meme a couple of years ago. It was like maybe in the beginning of COVID, too. And it said, like, you know, we've all heard people saying, I've said it. I'm sure you said it. When you want to do something or somebody says, oh, come on, Mike, let's do this. How many times do we say, oh, I'd love to, but I just don't have time to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So here's the thing for everybody. And I love saying this because it reminds me, practice what I preach. Next time, no matter what it is. You catch yourself about to say, I don't have time to do blank. Whatever the blank is, it could be anything, massive, mediocre, minimal. Next time you're about to say, oh, you don't have time to do whatever the blank is, pause, catch yourself, replace it with say, it's not a priority. And then you catch yourself. If it's a priority, you're going to find time. You're going to make time to do it. If you say, oh, it's really not a priority, then you're not doing it, not because you don't have time. You're not doing it because you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And this is where I talk, it goes back to those three things with the, th- the first one, the thoughts. You're taking ownership of it. And this is the empowering and how you build that resilience mindset. You're controlling what you can. And that's the resilient perspective. And if it is a priority, you're going to, other stuff doesn't get done because it's not as high up. And this is where truly, which I wanted to ask you, like for me, my priority is working out, mental, physical workouts. And I try and work out five, usually six days a week. I'm not letting anything get in the way of that. Now, of course, there will be the exception every now and then, but I don't let that be every day because then that's excuse making. And I tell myself, I'm working out, I'm fitting it in. Even if it's only 20 minutes or so, I'm getting it in one way or another because I'm practicing what I preach. Otherwise, I'd be some con man out there. And I'm really trying not to be a con man, Mike. Yeah, and I I absolutely agree with that. And we we put this job so far, you know, you have to ask yourself when you're talking about looking at your phone, is it really something that you need to be involved in? Or is it not something that you need to be involved in? I understand there are emergencies that come up. But I would venture to guess that much of what people are looking at on their phone was not an emergency. And when it comes to how important each one of us are, and I'm, and I'm telling you this as somebody who mm-hmm. is retired from, um, from an agency, the FBI in particular, um, you, I, I can tell you this right now, and, you, and I know you hear this from a lot of veterans, you go, back to, you go back to your old unit two weeks from now and half the people aren't going to know who you are. 
Okay. <laughs> and they're not going to be calling you. I can tell you that. They're not going to be calling. Hey, you know, Jeff, uh, listen, I know you've been retired for a month now. We got this thing going on and we don't know how to handle it. So we are, we figured, can you come on over and, and talk to us about it? Yeah, they're not doing that. They, they've yeah. moved on. It's an organization they've moved on from you. And that's just the way that it is. And people say, oh, it's the thin blue line. We're the brotherhood. No, you're always part of the team. No, you're not. I'm, I'm, telling, I'm telling you right now, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> they will have moved on from from uh, you, uh, and and there's nothing more sad than to see the the people that keep going back to their previous organization, like that we call them the groupies. They keep going back, yeah. and and then the people in the station are like, "Who's that guy? Who's that guy over? I don't know. I think he was a detective or something." And uh, I don't know. He's always hanging around. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Because man, when I retire, you're never going to see me around here. And you know, you don't want to be that person. And I think those are the people that just can't. Um, don't reconnect with uh, their identity. You didn't come into this world as a police officer. You're not going to leave this right. world as a police officer. And, um, you know, enjoy yourself and and take, you know, for goodness sake, take care of yourself. You know, that's really right. what it is. Make, make, you make your wellness your priority. Yeah, and it's like, yet again, it's only as complicated as we make it or mm-hmm. we allow it to be. So that's like, here's my question that I have for you. Um, and then I guess if I ask you, I'll answer it myself first, but you, <laughs> you, you, you first, if you don't, like, what is it that you do like, for hobbies or the stuff that you just enjoy in life? And hopefully this spurs other people to think about things as well. But like, what do you just like enjoy doing? Uh, well, are you asking me, me personally? Yeah. 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 Well, I like you, I, I try to make my physical fitness a priority because, because there was a period in my law enforcement career where I did not. And, and I started developing some very serious health complications as a result. So I make that a priority. And I'm getting older, too. So that's, that's a priority. And um, I, I'm really into music. So I, uh, I, te- I actually teach spin classes. You know, they're, they're stationary cycling classes. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. do that. Yeah. But along with that, probably the best part of that is I'm really into music. And so I get – that's one of the reasons why I – taught spin to be honest with you it was i could can that's my controlling personality so you can make everybody listen to your playlist yeah we listen to what <laughs> i want to listen to right so that's that's it but I, but that's a, that's a hobby um along with that i've i play the guitar and uh or learning uh, i shouldn't say play i'm learning the guitar and uh, i'm back in school getting another degree and um uh, other than oh, and I and I cycle quite a bit on the outside. So that's that's really sports, fitness, um, the arts, and then back in school. So I'm pretty and, and podcasting, of course. Yeah. So I mean, these are uh, you know what you could say is a hobby, but they they occupy my time and keep me focused on other things. Now, how about you? Yeah, and, I, yeah, and like it's, similar to you, like I think one feeds the other, right? Yeah. And it's that idea of why I personally think an exercise like this is so good because imagine if you still were active or and I'm still active. It gets you to think of stuff besides whatever it is you do for a living. And then when this is a meaning and purpose, but it also gets you to think about stuff that you like where for me, like it's just fun to think about it because I, it's funny, I asked you and I knew I was going to go, but it's like, all right, what do I, I, I enjoy running. Mm-hmm. Why do I enjoy running? Because in, in a sense for me, that's kind of like, part of my spirituality of being outside. I'm a big outside runner Mm -hmm. and I just enjoy being out there in nature. Even I look, I live in Queens, New York, um, running through the street. I consider nature as well (laughs) Uh, while I dodge cars, which I actually ran today. And I didn't, I always got hit by a car. So it really is part of that video game Frogger. But then too, like what I have really been trying to do a lot more is just literally putting myself more in nature. 
I like half chokingly, half serious. Even here in Queens, like we have parks and like little small nature trails. But then going like an hour north of New York, going hiking and just it just really feels good. Yeah. And it doesn't take that much time. Or that sometimes when I came to it watching videos and how does that tie them into my other stuff, like my research and how I continually do research on resilience, well-being. And like one of the cool topics I put a lot of effort in recently, I'm like in the midst of doing six different studies on it, the concept of awe. And I know with my New York accent, people don't understand what I'm saying, apparently. Um, A-W-E, but in your non-New York accent, do you mind just saying it for the listeners so they know what I'm saying? It's awe, not R. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a pirate, Mike. Come on, man. <laughs> but this is a really cool yeah. thing. <laughs> no, I but I, I understood you. I understood you. Like you. <laughs> um, but it's just, so again, think about the concept of awe. And it's just fun and good and it's not complex. And the science behind it is just really, really fascinating. And here's the one thing with awe. It's it doesn't have to be limited to once in a lifetime moments mm -hmm. either. Sure, those are clearly awe inducing and awe listening, but there's daily moments of awe, maybe on a more of a micro scale. And the researchers that I've worked with and learned from, it truly there's this one great woman, um, Mariana Graziosi, the way she describes it is of course awe is an ordinary response to something extraordinary right? That's the once in a lifetime moments. But how about it's also an extraordinary response to something ordinary. And I'm not just mixing up the word. What do I mean? Awe comes back to perspective and just looking or like when it's anyone or even you next time you go for a walk outside that you walked a thousand times, try and pick out something that you didn't notice before. And just take a moment to look at it. And this is where I'd say, yeah, anybody out there right now could clown the moment and laugh and say it's stupid. Honestly, I don't think it is. And I think the research backs it up. It's make if the bad, tough moments as part of the human condition, especially in policing, are built in, it's creating that balance, finding these little moments throughout the day to sort of just give yourself a quick time out or a moment of ease. And I, I tell you, not just as a researcher, me trying to find these little moments of awe, it's just, it, it helps me get by each day. Yeah, that's good stuff. It really is. Man, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate I'm having, it. I, I'm yeah. having a good time too. I hope your yeah. listeners are. Honestly, it, it, it's just, and this in a sense is part of, honestly, like a resilience practice. I, for me, I hope for you and then the people listening to this, it's just, maybe it gets us to stop and look at things differently. Yeah or reconnect with the good things going on in our life. And it just, this is where, yet again, I said in the book, let's, it, it just feels good feeling good. So we don't need to necessarily always talk about the science. It's just, how does it feel? It feels good to talk about your hobbies or to talk about non-work stuff or to have a good conversation or to check in with yourself. And if you're doing good, like saying, yeah, damn, man, I'm doing good. I, I, I walked an extra half mile today or yeah, I ate a little bit healthier today and soak in or savor those positive moments as well. Mm. That's really good. Well, hey, Jeff, let the listeners know, how can they get hold of you? Um, if they want to reach out and get more information about you and what you're doing, how would they do that? Um, oh, great. Well, thank you. Um, I guess it's this shameless plug moment of the episode, which I'm happy to do. I'm on Twitter. If anybody's on Twitter, um, at JeffTPhD. 
So J-E-F-F-T-P-H-D. Also with that awe stuff, um, I, I run a five-day program. Literally, you watch a video in the morning and evening. I do a couple of groups a month. It's all done through your mobile phone. And I've done it with hundreds of, well, close to a thousand people now, mainly police, but also non-police. It's open to anybody. And here's the thing, Mike, I'm not selling it. It's 100% free. And oh, wow. why the hell charge people for this stuff? It's free for anybody. If they go to the website, five days of awe.com, it's the number five, five days of awe. I'm trying to say it like how you said it. I can't. <laughs> I, I can only say all one way. But the word that Mike said, if you're not sure, five days. And just have a look at it. And this is my thing, too. Like, I can't make people, like you were saying, I can't make people do it. If it's for you or you're interested, fine, sign up for it. If it's not, that's fine, too. Just find something to look after yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's one day at a time. And, again, if you need help, reach out for somebody. Reach out to somebody, too. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, Jeff, Thanks again for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed talking with you. And I hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much, Mike. I truly appreciate it. Oh, man. Well, thanks again. And folks, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. And according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com. Hey, folks, so as always, I'd like to say I don't represent any group and I don't represent anyone other than myself. And the same is true with Jeff. Our only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what we've learned because maybe it will help you. And if I've said anything or if Jeff has said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with and just discard it, but try to take any information you can use for yourself and help others as well. You know, that's what we do in recovery is we help ourselves along the way and we try to impart that knowledge to others that we've gained. And so with that, again, visit our website, which is Facebook, or our Facebook page rather, which is Recovery is Possible and the website is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing and let me know if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about because we'd like to cover it for you because that's what we're here for is to help you guys think about wellness get yourself well and help others as well you guys take care we'll see you soon